Hello, Vetfolio Voice listeners. Welcome back, and I hope you're excited for this episode. I'll keep my comments brief because this episode is not, and I have a lot of people to introduce you to. So if you caught our previous episode, Just Keep Swimming with Dr. Dana Varble, where we discussed some of the lessons we've learned throughout our careers, then get ready because we have another similar episode and we're adding more friends to the mix. This episode features Dr. Dana Varble, and joining us are Amelia Matzek and Kayla Wildblood, two vet students attending school in Glasgow. Now, Amelia and Kayla also have a podcast called Vet the Unexpected, on which they discuss many alternative careers in veterinary medicine. Neither Kayla nor Amelia aspire to be small animal general practitioners, and this episode was born with the intention of continuing the discussion on alternative careers in vet med, but believe me when I tell you, it took many twists and turns along the way. Okay, so I said I'd keep it brief, but I don't think I'm doing that, so let me give you a couple of quick bios and we'll get into the episode. Amelia Matzik is a third-year veterinary student at the University of Glasgow in Scotland, Growing up in a small town in Pennsylvania, she eventually moved to Chicago to attend Loyola University and pursued a degree in forensic science. She's had the opportunity to travel the world and gain veterinary experience in South Africa and Thailand, which further fueled her interest in exotic animal private practice and wildlife research and rehabilitation. Kayla Wildblood is also a third-year veterinary student in Scotland at the University of Glasgow. She was born and raised in California and earned her Bachelor's of Science in Animal Science with a minor in Equine Science at California Polytechnic State University, or Cal Poly. Her professional interests are in mixed animal practice with a primary focus in mobile equine medicine with, as she puts it, a splash of small animal medicine. And then there's the unforgettable Dana Varble, Chief Veterinary Officer for the NAVC. I know you guys have heard me talk about her before, so I'll keep it kind of brief. She graduated with her bachelor's from Southern Illinois University in 1999 and went on to earn her veterinary degree from the University of Illinois in 2003. There, she pursued a non-traditional clinical rotation schedule and fulfilled her clinical and academic requirements at the University of Illinois, the University of Tennessee, Louisiana State University, Brookfield Zoo, and the University of Pretoria. She's practiced clinical medicine and exotic pet practice, small animal general practice, and emergency medicine, and continues to practice it as an associate for Chicago Exotics Animal Hospital in Skokie, Illinois, and occasionally as a relief veterinarian as well. She's a nationally and internationally recognized speaker and has authored multiple publications in the areas of herpetological and exotic animal medicine and surgery. In 2015, she joined the NAVC as the executive director of the Association of Reptilian and Amphibian Veterinarians, and through an interesting series of events, which you can hear her talk about on one of our previous podcast episodes, and with several stops along the way, she is now the chief veterinary officer for the NAVC. All right, that's all from me. Let's go ahead and get into it. I'm back again with Dr. Dana Varble, and we also have vet students, Amelia and Caitla, joining us. They are both vet students at Glasgow, um, and so I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about themselves and what we're up to today. 
Hi everyone, so I'm Caitla, uh, and as Cassie said, uh, I am one of the vet students that are on today. Uh, I go to the University of Glasgow uh, in Scotland, but I am actually originally from California, as I'm sure you can tell by my accent, I'm not Scottish. <laughs> um, and I, so quick background on who I am, uh, I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo uh, for my undergrad, and I got my degree in animal science with a minor in equine science, and then uh, through an early acceptance program with the University of Glasgow, I got accepted uh, there for, for vet school. Um, and here I am in my third year. And so just uh, what I'm interested in is I'm interested in mixed animal practice with a focus in equine mobile work in a rural community uh, with a potential long-term goal in academia. And I am Amelia. I am originally from Pennsylvania, but Chicago is home. I did not originally ever plan on going to vet school. I was actually an undergrad for forensic science when I wound up applying in my second year for vet school and came to Glasgow in what would have been my fourth year of undergrad. My interests are exotics and wildlife, which kind of swings us back around to why I had the crazy idea to start Caitlin Mai's podcast called Vet the Unexpected. So I have found that I'm struggling to find opportunities within vet school to kind of explore the exotics and wildlife side of veterinary medicine. And I've kind of been un, un, ungratefully pushing my way against, <laughs> um, against all expectations of me to try and get done what I want to get done. Um, and in doing so, I've actually been working as a technician at, at an exotics animal hospital in Chicago which is actually how I know Dana. Uh, she is a doctor at Chicago Exotics Animal Hospital. And I came up with this idea for the podcast because I wanted to talk to vets who had unconventional careers, just kind of hear how they got there, what got them interested in it. And on top of working with Dana at Chicago Exotics, I knew that she worked for NABC. And so I decided to reach out to her and ask if she would have any interest in talking to me about what exactly that job entails and why she got involved in it. And then she kind of harangued the rest of us into it. And so now here we all are to discuss uh, unexpected careers in veterinary medicine. Amelia, that's not the first time this has happened, is it? You're like, oh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and go to vet school. And I'm like, great. Can't wait for you to come back, by the way. I'm gonna start <laughs> quizzing you on random things throughout your day, but I am really glad that you came up with this idea, Amelia, because I think it's always awesome to talk about all of the cool things that vets do. And, you know, I think a lot of us that are in unconventional or different jobs in vet medicine have actually landed there and surprise. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that a lot of uh, people, any vet student <laughs> thinks, oh, you know what I'm going to do with my career? Work from home. Mostly. <laughs> you know? um, so I think it's, I think it's worth talking about because it, it is unexpected and it is different. And if anything, I think it just stresses how interesting vet med is and where all the crazy paths it can take you. So I'm excited to talk to you guys today. I'm yeah. just so grateful that you guys were willing to chat. We are so happy to have you guys. And, you know, Dana, you and I kind of talked about this in our last episode, all the crazy things that we did and the crazy journeys we took to get to where we are now. 
And so I'm so excited to get more ideas in here um, from you guys who are in vet school, you're kind of seeing it firsthand as far as the different, you know, just more opportunities that are out there in vet med, but you're kind of saying that you're feeling almost, um, I don't know, you know, what do you want to say? Like pigeonholed or, or, you know, pushed into the, a small animal type of role. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Did I explain that? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about traditional veterinary medicine, it's usually either small animal, large animal, or equine. And unfortunately, in my case, those aren't really my areas of interest. And vet schools, with the exception of just a few, don't really have any programs that are geared towards people who have interests outside of those kind of three larger conventions. And I think that that's more of a result of them trying to get students to be able to pass the Navali, which Unfortunately, small animal equine and large animal is about 90% of the NAVALI exam. Um, that said, it is, from a student perspective, it can be really frustrating when I'm looking for motivation to study for the 10 hours a day that I need to be studying and none of it's necessarily on what I'm really interested in. In my case, uh, I I am interested in in. I guess the big three, if you want to call it, in in equine primarily. Um, in uh, in I am I do have an interest in small animal, but um, I also do have a also an interest in large animal medicine. I uh, I'm the kind of person where I I grew up wanting to do lots of different things. <laughs> I had lots of hobbies, and I uh, found that that's kind of that's what I want to do in vet med as well. I want to be able to experience lots of different things, have lots of I, I know that, you know, every day in vet med is going to be very, there's going to be something new. I can hop out in the truck and go, uh, you know, see this, you know, a, a lame horse, and then I can have an emergency call out at, you know, for, for a, a goat or something, you know, and I really enjoy the surgery aspect of vet med. And I really enjoy the, um, the med the medicine, the, like the internal medicine aspect as well. So I just, I kind of just want to experience it at all. Cause it's a, it's a vet, veterinary medicine is such a such a multifaceted uh, career, you know, that you can really do anything with. And one of the reasons that um, I was really thankful that Amelia asked me to uh, to join her in starting our podcast uh, was because I really wanted to hear about other veterinarians' journeys uh, to where they got to where they are and being able to talk to them about, um, about their their career paths, especially, you know, the, the, the ones that have, you know, the, the weird odd ones. I mean, you know, there's veterinary forensics, there's just all these different aspects that I think are really interesting to, to get to learn more about. Um, so. I don't I know about that. You. And, I know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dana. No, I was just thinking, Cassie, I, I just listening to Amelia and Kayla talk just now, I feel like we, at least from what I know about you, we, you probably feel like you can relate so much to both of them right now um, in different ways too. Yes. Ways. Yes. It's so true. Actually. Um, so I was kind of um, like chuckling to myself as, so, you know, when we do these podcasts, some of the time um, we'll kind of put together a working document 
um, where we can just kind of jot down some ideas of, of where we're thinking and where to go with things. And so I was reading through this document and Kayla, you know, I saw your stuff and I was kind of chuckling to myself because I was like, oh my gosh, this is so, so how I still feel of, you know, one day I'll figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And so, yeah, it's, you know, keep, keep having the open interest and doing a little bit of everything, you know. Um, somebody asked me the other day, they're like, you know, do you see pigs right now? And I was like, not today, but you know, <laughs> ask me in a couple weeks, exactly. and maybe, maybe <laughs> it comes up a lot more often than you think you're like, you know, at one point in school, you're like, yeah, I am never working on pigs. And then you go out and do exotics and they're, you're like, great, huge pot belly pig trend. Awesome. Let me pull up those notes. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Pugh, for yes. writing that book on sheep and goat medicine because I'm going to need it. Again, I need to know that. rabies is a thing, right? Okay. Not contagious to humans. I do remember that. Is yeah. that right? <laughs> I have to ask what we need to, you know, and that's, I think that you hit the nail on the head there, Cassie. I still feel so. I'm, I'm I'll be honest, I'm 18 years post grad. And if you had asked me when I was graduating, do you think you'll have it figured out in 18 years? I think I would have said yes. And I think every year that I've been a veterinarian, I, I feel like I've got less figured out. Um, Amen. <laughs> Amen. But that is almost, the truth. But in a good way. Like, I'm yeah. like, you know, I know what I'm doing today, but um, I think now I realize like, if I change my mind next year, I change my mind in two years. You know, yeah, I, you know, all the things I loved and I love, this is one of the reasons I love talking to students because you actually remind me of all the things I loved. Um, you know, surprisingly, I was always interested in exotics. Like I went to vet school to work on exotics. I yeah. liked the idea of doing zoo and wildlife. And, and I, in fact, do that. But blown out of the way when someone introduced me to bovine medicine, I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I could maybe, I don't know, do this one day. And I haven't, but I still think it's really cool. And I, you know, you always wonder like in five years, could I just, you know, go do C-sections on cows all day? Maybe. And and I think it's really fun. I mean, I would, it would, there'd be a learning curve. I'm not going to lie, but it's really exciting to actually start to think about and remember all of the different things that were really exciting to you. And I think that's part of what I would always, what I always tell students is, you know, enjoy the weird things that you didn't think you were going to, because you never know what those things are going to be. I mean, some of them are going to be the stuff you expect to enjoy. You know, like I said, I have always loved reptiles. Amelia knows this. I go <laughs> when they come in the clinic, I'm happy as a clam. Unless so they have an eyeball issue. That's different thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then you're tapping out. <laughs> no, then I'm like, not it. Not it. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it is really exciting to think about, you know, all the things you, you didn't think you'd use from vet school are actually, it's, it's kind of, it's always surprised me. Yeah. I mean, for me, I have never been interested in horses. Horses are just not my jam, <laughs> but guttural pouch mycosis. Give me 20 chapters on that. I will read it cover to cover. I find it totally fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I think, you know, I think that's the kind of the fun thing is I think some things, um, will surprise you even as you go through school you're that 
something will sneak up on you and you'll be like, why do, why do I even like that? That's yeah. weird. And what's kind of funny, like just about um, you, t- especially talking about bovine medicine there is, so the thing that snuck up on me was small animal GP. Um, I actually went to school to be a cow vet. You know, I wanted to work, <laughs> work on cows and be a food animal vet, C-sections on cows, palpating. I love dairy cows. Um, and you know, when I got out of school, a lot of the work that was available in my area was small animal and, you know, I'm out of school, like how far in debt am I? Like, I need a job. Um, and so one came my way, it was a good fit. Um, and I took it and I actually really like being a small animal general practitioner. And I've done that in a lot of different ways, um, because there's a lot of different opportunities just within being a small animal practitioner. But like Dana said, you know, sometimes things will just sneak up on you. And I, I've kind of given up on trying to get it figured out. I'm just like, it's not, it's not going to happen. Like, let's just see what tomorrow brings. And, and it's been really fun to approach it that way. It kind of takes the stress off. Cause you're like, well, this is what I'm doing today. Let's see you know, yeah, what, let's what happens when I wake up in the morning. I think it continues out of school. You know, I think yeah. some things have snuck up on me in my career. And I was like, um, I will say this for me that I, when I left school, I went to a GP exotics practice and it was okay. It was just, it wasn't a great fit, but an opportunity came um, during school. I worked actually similar to what Amelia does during my breaks, during my weekends, I would jump into this emergency clinic and, you know, work as an assistant. And I was like, ah, you know, this is okay. I can do this. And so when my first job didn't work out, which it doesn't for a lot of people out of school, and it's it's yeah. almost normal and it's okay. Um, I was like, I'll just do emergency for a few years. And I was surprised. I'm like, oh man, I'm actually good at this. <laughs> like it almost caught like, and I won't say I was disappointed that I was good at I mean, it's always nice to feel good at something. But I was like, I didn't plan to be good at this. This wasn't, this wasn't, this wasn't, oh, no. And um, it, it, it was good and bad. I, I did get, I think sometimes I got a little too comfortable in it. I got, I let myself get a little stagnant in it. But at the same time, like now that I'm not doing it, I'm like, well, I could always go back to that because I was quite good at it. Who knew? Um, you know, <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be good. I thought, you know, I thought I'd get by and I didn't take a job <laughs> this job with the intention of being terrible at it but um I did take a job I didn't know how it would go and I was like uh, you know so I think even out of school things shift and change a little bit and I will say this I was a little surprised well I shouldn't say a little surprised I was really surprised in my career when I decided to leave clinical medicine I was ready for a break but I also didn't think I'd be any good at it no, this time I did take a job going, I have no clue how this is like zero <laughs> clue how this is going to go. Like none, like hopefully I can learn quickly and figure things out and try and get good at organized veterinary medicine and learn some things about industry and nonprofits. And, um, it's been, a, there's a learning curve there. Cause that's not, you don't learn that in school. Oh no, no. no. When yeah, yeah no. no. There's it's no a... budgeting 101 and what the difference between a 501c3 and a 501c6 is that does not so no thanks, Navly there. You didn't cover that. Uh, <laughs> saying, so. You're saying letters and numbers and <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, well, that's 
that's one thing that I do wish, uh, and I think all vet students can relate to this, is uh, that we were taught more non-clinical skills in addition to our clinical one. I mean, I know that, you know, you only have so many years in vet school, so they kind of have to cram as much knowledge as they can into you uh, so that you can be, you know, as good of a vet as you can straight out of school. Um, but with that being said, I, I do wish that we had more non-clinical skills that were taught to us uh, just because, yeah, you know, like the, the business management side of, of, of it is very important understanding, as you said, all those different, you know, 501s and stuff, all those <laughs> different codes, you know, um, tax code. Let me right. tell you. Tax. Oh my gosh. My QuickBooks asks, asks me which, like when I set up an account in my QuickBooks, it's like, which tax code do you want? I'm like, I, I don't Did you know. Have to Google like, it? You had to Google it. It's okay. I, didn't, I put nothing. Like it. I was like, hopefully my accountant will figure it out. <laughs> I still barely know whether to put a zero or a one in some spots of the 1099. <laughs> so <laughs> again, I'm still like, I, 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 I put zero is that I don't, is somebody tell me if that was right, please, please. <laughs> There's, exactly. You're like, Fingers crossed. That was yeah. the thing to do. That's what I'm going on. So, <laughs> so going to UF, um, we actually did have a business certificate and we did have a business program. Um, it is like scratch the surface of the things that you really need to know, but, um, you know, did provide a little bit of business training, which I appreciated, but I agree with you that one of the big things was like, there's just not enough time to fit that in and walk away knowing the things that you need to know to be a good vet and, uh, you know, to pass the Navali, which unfortunately is a really important part of that whole equation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I think I know. part of that too is, is you, you have to prepare yourself to be a lifelong learner. I mean, it's not going to be vet school. Thank goodness. I mean, vet school is hard, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is fun but though. It is. It, it gets, <laughs> I think we, you know, hindsight, hindsight always makes right. things a little That's bit true. You know, cheerier. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, it is. And I, and don't get me wrong. I, I still were very, I'm still very close to my, my vet school classmates for good reason. Like you spend a lot of time together. It's inevitable, but I do think you have to prepare yourself to be a lifelong learner too, so that you can make those jumps and you can pursue things that come up to you and are interesting to you. And it, it catches you off guard. I'm not going to lie. Like you think you're done studying you're never done studying. You're, you're not, it's, you're always going to find the next thing, another certificate you want to get a class you want to take. Um, oh, you know, like we talked about, sometimes you have to learn business on the fly. Sometimes you have to schedule that one hour phone call with your CPA and go, yeah, explain that to me again and take notes. <laughs> or and don't then, and just yeah. take this paper and tell me how much money Please, to give you. Yes. <laughs> Outsourcing is important, um, yes. <laughs> you know, but well, I, mean, I go ahead, Amelia. I, I mean, I just think that that's part of the fun of vet med is that it is a career that you do get to continue to learn for the rest of your life. If that be in a clinical capacity and expand your knowledge or a career change, or if you're interested in clinical research or just the ever evolving state of medicine in general, I just think that that's part of the huge appeal is that it forces you to always be trying to think of what you want your end result of your career to be and you won't get there until you retire you know the whole career is is such a journey so I think that's such a great way to approach it 
what are, what are some of the things that you guys are experiencing? Um, you know, I know you talked about uh, preparing for the NAVLI and things like that, but what are some of the other things that you've seen in your vet school experience that um, have either been a positive or maybe have made it a little more difficult for you to think about these non-traditional career paths? You can go first, Celia. Okay. Um, I mean, for me personally, during our first year, we had Glasgow's program is run very differently than the schools in the U.S. And that schools in the U.S., you're on a semester basis and you're taking multiple classes at a time. In Glasgow, we work on a module schedule. So you'll have essentially four weeks really intense on a specific subject. So you're basically taking a whole class in four weeks and then you bump to the next one. But during your first and second years, at the end of the module, you have a week without lectures and it's supposed to be your chance to consolidate that information and kind of really iron it out in your head. <laughs> and we had things called blue sky lectures a few times our first year, which the whole point was Glasgow says it's to kind of see the green pasture on the other side. And so they would have vets come in who were in practice and just kind of talk to us about their career. Now, because it's a university setting, a lot of them wound up being in research. So we kind of really got some good ideas as to what that would look like in a veterinary perspective. But I think that is kind of what vet schools are missing more of. And I think that it's kind of a missed opportunity not to spark inspiration in students, because I think a lot of veterinary burnout in your first couple of years of clinical practice is sometimes just a result of it. Your job's just not a right fit. And you're kind of just overworked and frustrated because you spent all this time and all this money to get this certificate saying that you're able to do this. And then you find out that it's not exactly what you were hoping for it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree that getting to, uh, to have those blue sky lectures. Um, I, I think if, if we were able to have more I guess external lectures come in if you want to, you know, call it that. If, you want, if we had more external lectures come in to talk about their, uh, that, yeah, and talk about how they got to where they are, uh, and and yeah, I think just having more, as you said, really more of those blue sky lectures would be would be nice. Well, and I think I'll, I'll reinforce what you both were saying a little bit there in that. You know, I don't know that you know enough about yourself your first year out of vet school the vast majority of the time. And that's totally normal, totally normal. So that even if you pick a job you think is going to be right, a lot of times it's not that it's a bad job or it's not that the employer is bad. It's, it's that you don't, you're, you're still finding yourself in your career. And I think you have to look at your first job um, as a learning experience. And I think that is very hard for veterinarians. Because <laughs> if it's a learning experience, that's different than if you pick a first job and it doesn't work out for whatever reason. Because when it doesn't work out, I think a lot of us automatically put that as I've failed. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's really not. It's part of your journey. And I think that's, it's kind of one of the reasons that a lot of students do want to do internships because they feel like they're going to still be in that learning environment. But actually, I would encourage more vet students to think of their first year job, whatever it is, out of vet school as a learning experience. Um, and that means 
It might be for one year or it might be yeah. for six months. And there's nothing, not only is there nothing wrong with that, but like I said, it's almost more common than I think a lot. I, I mean, to be honest, I think you think you, you're, you've picked out the perfect job <laughs> and you're going to be good for a few years <laughs> and things are going to be steady and good. But I think that part of the preparation for that first job is knowing that it may only be the first of many jobs, because I think that's, it's a great opportunity to learn about yourself in a very different non-academic setting. And that's okay. You just, sometimes things, again, it goes back to things surprise you and you think you're going to like something or you think you're going to be set up well for something. And then you go out and try it and you go, yeah, so no, no, that wasn't the right thing <laughs> for me. And I know Cassie's had that experience too, to a degree. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If you would have told me so many things about my career. So this always scared me in vet school because we would have these lectures and tell me if you guys had this experience, whenever the lecturer would start off, I felt like universally the opening statement was if you would have told me I would be doing X, I would have laughed at you. And I was like, why does everybody say that? Like, what the <laughs> heck am I going to end up doing? It's I think true. I know what I'm going to do, but yeah, it is true. And it's so true. Like if you would have told me who went to school to be a vet for dairy cows, that I was going to be a small animal general practitioner who likes dentistry of all things. And does a podcast like I feel no no not this kid I don't think so um, so yeah things do surprise you and and I don't think that stops at any point in your career like you said Dana I think you said it really well just being a lifelong learner and being open to possibilities and changes in your career um really opens a lot of doors for you. So um, like I said, one day I'll figure out what I want to do when I grow up. But right now I'm a small animal GP who really likes teeth. <laughs> Good. So I, I'm going to ask Amelia and Kayla a question that's, that's of course not on the document because again, that's kind of on brand, right? Yeah. It's very but on brand for you, great. Dana. <laughs> Left I'm a little shot, nervous, right? but go ahead. No, I, of course, of course. But it's not, it's not a, it's not a fact question, Amelia. Don't, don't start flipping oh, through notes. I thought that, that you were going to like bring up a bird x-ray and ask me what vessel <laughs> so, it was. Yeah, you had no. me all panicked. <laughs> I would say like, what, what has made you, I think, you know, you talked about your blue sky lectures You've talked a little bit about some of the, the more traditional things and kind of that, that navly pressure, but what, especially you two who decided to start talking to folks who are in different fields, what made, what was the biggest inspiration to that? Was it another person? Was it frustration? Like what made you go, I, I got to find out more. I mean, kind of a combination of things, but I've been incredibly fortunate in the opportunities that I've had within veterinary medicine. Um, exotics in wildlife is an area that a lot of people have interest in, but not a lot of people necessarily get the opportunity to pursue. My boss at Chicago Exotics, Sue Horton, mentor to me, she's amazing. Um, she gave me a job working in exotics when the only experience I had with exotics was working at my local zoo for a few years when I was younger. And after working with her, I had an opportunity to do an internship in South Africa. 
And then I went and lived in Thailand for about half a year and worked with elephants and sea turtles. And then I came back to the US and did more work with sea turtles. Um, so I've just been incredibly, incredibly lucky and fortunate to have made connections with people and hear about all these fascinating careers. And then I've gone on to talk to other vet students about them. And their response has always been, oh, well, those like those jobs aren't really there. Like only like two people have that job. And I'm like, well, I've worked with at least 10. So I'm convinced <laughs> that I can find more. <laughs> there are more. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And I, I just really love hearing. I just really love hearing all the different stories, I guess if you want to call it that, all the different stories within vet med that people have. I mean, just uh, just recently, we um, we released an episode of our of our podcast uh, with Dr. Max Polyak, who he's a sea turtle veterinarian, like exclusively sea turtle veterinarian. And I thought that was just so fascinating that he, his career, I mean, his whole path is absolutely interesting, but, but how, but the fact that he, like you would just, when you think of a veterinarian, you don't think of as someone who just works with sea turtles and it's I just think it's really it's really neat it's really cool getting to hear all these different stories yeah of, of all these veterinarians Kayla so, that, that cracks me up because even among exotics veterinarians who are have already kind of taken a unique path I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've heard well no one can just be a turtle vet <laughs> so actually you can I mean are there 50,000 jobs out there working solely with turtles no but you know at some point in your yeah. career the opportunity could arise for you to have this job that is very non-traditional and I I think I'll say this I'm excited that both of you mentioned something that I think is another really important thing and that is the you know make connections and take opportunities because the only way you're going to hear about the, those five jobs that are turtle exclusive <laughs> is someone's going to call you up and be like, Hey, rem I remember you from seven years ago. Do you maybe want to apply for this turtle only job? Um, and I think it's something students get really nervous about, but I mean, I have not met any veterinarian and I'm Cassie knows this there's a lot of veterinarians out there that seem like they're really big deal right they've got a lot of letters after they name a really big deal <laughs> when you meet them you're like yeah this is someone who still like screams when they see a turtle in the woods like <laughs> I've, I've legit met someone who's a very well recognized veterinarian and I will happily embarrass Dr. Charlie Innes who's the director of the the Boston Aquarium and we were out on a short trip together. He saw a box turtle in the woods and he screamed like a seven-year-old boy. He was so, <laughs> so I just, I encourage you to talk and make those connections and meet people because it's, yeah, that man yeah. is crazy. And <laughs> it's it is. it is a small world. And, and, you know, kind of like Dana's touching on here. Um, it's true what they say when it really is about the people, you know, so making those connections because somebody might reach out to you to say, Hey, I have this opportunity, but also vice versa. Um, I don't, I, you know, I'd say, don't be afraid to reach out to those connections that you do have. You know, I know I've been in the situation where I'm like, well, that person probably doesn't even remember me. Like, why would I, you know, that, that'll be embarrassing. Cause I'll be like, no, who are you? Um, 
very, very rarely have I had that actually be the case. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I I know, like, for me, when people reach out to me, and they're like, hey, Cassie, um, you know, what do you think about this? Or, you know, I'm thinking about going this direction. Can you help me? And things like that. I mean, I'm more than happy to help it it brings me a lot of joy to, you know, try to try to help people further themselves, especially in a career that I love so much. And I found so much fulfillment out of like, so yes, call, you know, call me. And so also don't be afraid to be the squeaky wheel. Don't be afraid to reach out to those connections that you have, even if it was seven years ago and say, you know, Hey, I did this. Cause chances are they'll remember you and be happy to hear from you and happy to help you along the way. Yeah. And I mean, that's always been my experience. And I think that a missed opportunity for a lot of vet students is that they just get nervous. And Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's good to remember that we've chosen this career because we're not only empathetic, but plot twist, 99% of vet medicine is dealing with people. And so vets are generally really excited to talk to other people interested in vet med and interested in their specific field. And I think that every student should reach out to anyone, cold email people. If you've never met them before, 99% Mm -hmm. of the time they'll email you back. Well, and I'll add to this, you know, we talk about imposter syndrome in vet med. It's kind of flattering when a vet student reaches out to me and they're like, you're really important. Can you help me? And I'm always like, me? (laughs) (laughs) So cool. All right. Yes. Like I, you almost, it almost makes me want to like, it's, it's flattering in a like really humbling way. Like you actually think enough of me to think I could help you. Yes. I can barely help myself. You know, (laughs) I can barely help myself. I will do it, it, but it makes you want to do more for them. And I think when I've talked to my mentors, I'm always a little surprised at how willing they are to go out of their way to help me. Um, and you know, in any profession, you might run into some, some, uh, you know, some grouches. Yeah. There's <laughs> you, but don't, I don't think that should be a reason to deter you to reach out to them and see like, how did you make this happen? How did you, you know, how did you talk to people? What, you know, what do you suggest we do? Because, you know, half the time we're winging it too, but we'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> Come wing it with us. Yeah, exactly. Come <laughs> wing it with us. Yeah. Yeah. I remember even when I was a, when I was a pre-vet student, high school and, and an undergrad, especially, uh, I would see vet students and vets and was just so in awe of them. I was like, oh my gosh, like, look at those vet students walking. They have their lives together. Look at them learning vet med, you know, and see the veterinarians. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, look at them doing that, doing my career, my, my dream job. And, uh, and, uh, but now, now I'm one of the vet students and, you know, every so often I'll have pre-vet students contacting me be like asking me for advice for how to like get into vet school and stuff and I'm like I was just in your position like, blah, blah, blah. like what you know <laughs> it's just it's weird so I'm, I'm, just, um... I'm just gonna tell you Kayla that just keeps on going yes. it just keeps on going yeah <laughs> like you have um, it together I'm like I do I mean yeah, just look at me 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 texting Dana and asking for this meeting I mean here we are yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and, and I'm sure you were like She's oddly excited about this, but <laughs> no. I was like, no, 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 you're in. It's too late. You mentioned it. Too, you, this is, <laughs> we're doing it. It's happening. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, I was like, oh man, 
I know I can ask Dana because I know that even if I get too nervous to talk, she can talk for the whole hour. <laughs> so I know she'll have it covered. <laughs> and part of this is Amelia. Amelia's also seen me walking around the clinic going, all right, so guys, I've misplaced my coffee for the 17th time <laughs> this morning. And it's absolutely essential that I find it right now. Uh, so it's hot, Drop you know, everything. Exactly. So, I mean, that's just the thing is if, if you work with people, eventually you start to realize that, you know, they're just, they're, they're just human. People. People. Yeah. Yes. We still can't, you know, plug in our computers and we walked around with our shoe untied for an hour in the morning and it, it's fine, you know? So ask, <laughs> ask for a favor, ask for something, ask for advice. It's really cool to get asked for advice though, I think. Mm-hmm. So it, when I remember in my um, freshman orientation, they talked about, and this this has probably changed since then because that was more year, a lot of years ago. But <laughs> in doing that talk, they said, if we took all the veterinarians in the United States, um, which I recognize you guys aren't in the United States right now, but they said, you know, within the United States, and we put them all in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, which is the football stadium at the University of Florida. They said, we, you know, you wouldn't fill it up. You wouldn't even have as many people as you have on a normal game day. It's a relatively small population of people. And so in addition to it, just being really flattering to be asked, you know, in a group of very giving and empathetic and, and happy to help people, there's a lot of people, you know, well, no, I can't help you, but I know so-and-so and, you know, we can usually point you in the right direction to talk to somebody who can help. Yeah. I mean, especially in the exotics realm, because it's even a much, 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 much smaller community. I know that I've asked Dana and I've asked Dr. Horton in the past, oh, I want to go do this, that, or the other. And they're always like, I don't do that, but here's a list of seven or eight people who you can email and here are their email addresses and phone numbers. So it is Go such ahead, a small text community. Text him at home on Sunday. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it, I, and I think, Kaylee, you're going to find the same thing because, you know, the fun thing is that with my job now, I, like I said, I really connected with you, Kaylee, when you were like, I don't even know what I like. I like everything. <laughs> and I love the fact that right now, uh, my role at NABC, I get to work with practitioners in every part of the field. And I think sometimes the folks that I work with who are doing farm animal or mixed animal practice are a little surprised how enthusiastic this exotic practitioner is for what they do. Um, and, and I know Cassie and I've had this discussion. I'm like, you guys get so cool. You get to see everything, every single thing. And they're like, calm down. Um, and they, I love hearing about their challenges though, too, because I think mixed animal practice really has some fun, cool challenges. And I love the fact that I've gotten to reconnect with that part of vet med. Um, And I still get to connect with my exotics folks. And I get to, you know, meet more small animal specialty practitioners than I ever thought I'd be able to, too. So I think, you know, not being able to pick sometimes or having interests that are really varied is just as valuable as those folks that are extremely focused. There's something to be said for that, too. Like, hey, you love ophthalmology god knows i don't (laughs) good for you because i need you in my i'm in my career too because i don't want to touch eyeballs ever (laughs) ever um preferably not even really want to look at them so you know i'm glad that you say that too because one thing that i've had to learn is that it's okay to change what you're 
interested in or what you want to do. And that's, it's always going to be okay. Cause for the longest time I was surprisingly was very headstrong on, I want to be an, uh, an equine surgeon. I want to go and do an internship and then I want to do a three-year residency and I want to be working in an equine hospital exclusively. That's all I want to do. Um, up until middle of undergrad, uh, and then coming to vet school, um, I had only worked in, in equine medicine. Um, and then when I was an undergrad, um, I had an amazing mentor, uh, such professor who she would take me out with her to, um, see, all, you know, obviously all the horses, but then she would also take me out with her to go see, um, the cattle and the sheep and the pigs that we all had on campus. And, uh, and then coming to vet school during the summer, I started working at a small animal clinic because they were right near my house. And I wanted to get some, I, I needed to get some small animal experience as well. And I was, I found that, Hey, small animals actually pretty cool too. And, uh, I, found too that, you know, Hey, actually farm animal work is really cool too. Cause you know, I got to go out with a different farm animal vets as well during, during the summer. And, uh, and I, you know, I found that I really like lots of different, you know, all the different species. <laughs> I, I just think, yeah, I just, I really like, like it all. And, uh, I, it took me a little while to, to accept, uh, within myself that my, my career path had changed because for 18 years, I was like this equine residency, equine surgery, this is all I want to do. So it took me a little while to accept that, hey, I actually have a different interest and that doesn't make me did not you worth any less, but, but sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to ask Cassie, did you change interests in vet school too? Cause that was, it is a little bit, it's not as common. And there is a sense of like, oh, look at them. They totally changed their mind in the middle of vet school. Yeah. So I didn't change my interest in vet school. For me, it, it happened after the fact, just, you know, partially, partially due to needing a job, but <laughs> like, <laughs> That school costs a lot of money. I, you know, I, I was thinking to myself as you were saying that it's one of those where like, I wish I knew as much as I knew when I was 18, <laughs> then the whole world opens up and you're like, oh, look at all these other, these other factors. So absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, kind of in this, in this same document, like I said, Kayla, I could really relate to a lot of what you were saying because, um, one of the words you used was headstrong for equine surgery. Um, and I think that is the exact word I would use to describe myself. It took me a little bit to decide to go to vet school, but once I did, I, I, I think I was just very, like, once I made a decision, it was like, this is what I'm going to do, whatever that decision was. And then, you know, I moved beyond that, like 18 to 22 when I knew it all and was like, oh gosh, you know, kind of let the world open up around you and see all the other opportunities. So I don't know if you're still struggling with that decision to change focus or whatever, but I would say absolutely. If you're, if things change, it's just because you see more things and you get more opportunities and the world just becomes a lot bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that, that my, my world, as you said, it definitely opened up as well. And, uh, and just getting to, getting to see the different other aspects of vet med. And I, I found that, Hey, I actually really like this. I think this is really cool. Uh, and I, yeah, I definitely, it's, it's nice to be able to feel like you are slowly making your way through, uh, through life, you know, <laughs> figuring out where you, where you belong, I guess, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to take a straight line and go from A to B. Right. You can, right. like you said, slowly make your way. It's, it's a marathon and go from thing to thing to thing. And if that changes, you know, like, like Dana said, you, it, everything is a learning opportunity. So you take away the learning opportunities you got from that and move on to the next thing. And it, it makes you 
just a whole well-rounded person at the end, but it takes a long time to, to get there if, if ever. Yeah. It's <laughs> a journey. Yeah. No, exactly. and enjoy it though. And enjoy it. You know, even I wish someone had told me like, Hey, this is probably not going to be your job forever. <laughs> uh, enjoy it, learn from it and don't get too hung up on, you know, every little part of it. Cause, um, I think that's something that's hard. It's hard for us to not take it personally. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a big part of our passion. So when something doesn't work out or doesn't go as planned and we have to change our plans, eh, that's life. I you think have to have you, that conversation with yourself of like, just because it changes, doesn't mean it's a failure. Mm-hmm. Many that's, of us get yeah. into this, have very like perfectionist personalities. And, um, I like to think of myself as a selective perfectionist. <laughs> it only applies to certain <laughs> things, <laughs> but, but, you know, you have that personality. It feels like a failure, but and, and it's like, like to me, sometimes it's been a verbal conversation, like me sitting in my car, go and I see Dana, you're nodding your head too, going, yep. Um, <laughs> you know, sitting there actually talking to myself and going, it's okay. You're okay. Things are, you know, I'm, I'm a happy, healthy individual ready to go on to the next thing. And just because this didn't work out doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. So if you have to have that conversation with yourself from time to time, you can know you're not alone. <laughs> No, I like that. So, I mean, you guys are a seasoned veterinarians. Well, <laughs> <laughs> burnt around the edges, but yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. Like, when did that happen? <laughs> How would you guys say that veterinary medicine as a whole has changed since your graduation? Oh my goodness. I, I mean, it's definitely with it being the transition in the in the employment market has been a huge change since I graduated. Um, I graduated in 2014. Um, does that make me seasoned? I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, anything longer than four seasons is like a hundred episodes. So after okay, that, okay. you're I like seasoned. It. I like it. I like Are it. Okay, we a sitcom like a, or a drama? I mean, let's, you know, always a, a sitcom and a, a, a dramedy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A drama. <laughs> I've always went really quickly. I've always wondered yeah. why, uh, why there hasn't been a, you know, how there's like Grey's Anatomy and uh, like Scrubs and all these like medical shows. I've always wondered why there isn't one about vet med because there's so many. No one knows what we do. No. So <laughs> years ago, no, no, years ago, there was a sitcom in a veterinary clinic and I can't recall the name. And I'm sure as I'm saying this, someone's going to type it in the chat somewhere. It was horrible. <laughs> really? It was. It was like a half hour sitcom. Um, like kind of, it, I think it was around the time that scrubs got really popular. So they okay. thought, let's do this for vet med too. And like watching it, there were actually drinking games surrounding it. Like every time there's a medical mistake, <laughs> every time I they mean, you can do that now with that. some of these medical <laughs> shows. Oh yeah. Anytime like, someone puts in a stethoscope backwards. CPR wrong, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, That's asystole's not a shockable, not a shockable rhythm. rhythm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, but no, there really was. And I, again, I, I'm going to think of the name, like as soon as we're done recording today, but, and I don't, if it's, if it's saved somewhere, if it's like in some Hulu vault, it's totally (laughs) worth watching because it's, it's, it's it's awful. Like surgery on an unclipped patient that's laying in lateral recumbency. And you're like, that's, oh dear. And like, there's, I, I specifically remember there's some sort of peacock chasing, 
moment and I'm like, well, that's actually realistic because yeah, that's, that one makes sense. If you've ever worked with peacocks, which I have, there's always chasing. I don't understand why, but they, I, yeah, man, the the fancy chickens don't sit still. That's something you actually have to kind of watch out for sometimes in Florida. Um, oh, we have a lot of peacocks yeah. and you never know where you're going to find them. And so mm-hmm. at any point you could be chased by a peacock. Could, it was a good attempt and it was really poorly executed. So I think <laughs> I ended up going off the air because, but it was funny for, you know, the laughable, like, let's all tune in and laugh about all the things they got wrong part of the show. So I don't, and I, I like, I would love to know who ended up being like, there had to be. A veterinarian that was a consultant on that show though speaking oh of like all the yeah. things that vets do and I was like yeah so were they like only <laughs> for like two minutes a day what happened there <laughs> no yeah no 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 uh, that, and, and there's another opportunity for for <laughs> in vet med to be <laughs> But I really do love the fact that um, like Nat Geo and stuff like that, they're doing all the veterinary shows. Um, I watch a lot of them and um, my husband's like, don't you do this all day long? Like, give it a break. I'm like, but I love it. (laughs) But at least at least we have some realism there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, during my quarantine on the way back after the holidays, I binge watched Dr. K's exotic pet. pet. So I'm in the same boat. I walked in on, um, my, my daughter, she's four now, but she was two at the time. And she had like this little toy owl and I had a a stethoscope where the tubing had broken. It just, it wasn't my favorite stethoscope anyway. So I put some electrical tape around it and I gave it to her. It was like pretty worn out. And so I find her with this like Lippmann stethoscope in her ears. She's listening to her owl and she's like, we got to give you an exam like Dr. K. Like, so oh. <laughs> but I will bet you $10 she put the stethoscope in the right way she did she, she did she, yeah yeah <laughs> so um what were we even talking about I don't remember uh how how vet med has changed and you're seasoned oh. now so now you can speak okay. on the topic <laughs> We'll go back. I still love that. I still well, yeah. love that. Um, so that I know that's a big thing. I graduated in 2014. And so we were coming out of the recession. And so the hiring market was better, but it was still jobs were still a little bit slim pickings. Um, so to see the way that things have kind of exploded now has really blown my mind where there's just, I, I hear about people all the time that are like, I need an associate and I just can't find one. And that's so different from when I graduated. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a friend who works at a small animal clinic in Chicago and they've been trying to find a vet for, I think over 18 months now. And it's not that they haven't had a good applicant. They've just had zero applicants, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll say this. I graduated in 2003 and that was back in the golden age of student loan interest, which has long <laughs> gone away. So we were very, it really was about the last year or so that um, tuition was starting to do that weird thing where it was going up exponentially, but interest rates were low and the economy was really, really good. So I actually experienced that as a student. They were saying there's 10 jobs for every one of you. So take your time and pick wisely. And um, I, you know, still picked a job that was, you know, it was okay. I learned from it. It's still not the right job for me. But you picked a learning <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> learning experience. Eh, exactly. It was it? <laughs> it was a learning experiment. But um, you know, probably I, you know, for me, it's it's great that, you know, the folks who've 
uh, who graduated about the same time I that I did were able to, you know, have we still have quite a bit of student loan debt, but it's it's much. It was the last time I think that it's truly manageable, and it was truly something that you know, oh, well, I'll pay this off in my lifetime. It's going to take some time, but the payments were reasonable, and you just you just lived with it. Um, and I think the biggest change for me is seeing that it's not, <laughs> it's, no. it's not reasonable, both the debt and the interest rates. And, you know, yeah, it's great to see that salaries have increased, but is it still, you know, and it's funny because I just saw this discussion on social media today. Is it, has it risen in a way that keeps vet med sustainable? And if it's not, what, you know, where do we find that? We can't raise prices much more. We can't do this. We can't, you know, what, what do we do to make vet med a sustainable career? And I, I still think it is, I'll, you know, I'll be probably foolishly optimistic or, you know, <laughs> optimistically optimistic or naively optimistic. I still think it is. Um, I think we're going to have to make adjustments, but definitely the biggest thing, I, that's the biggest change. And it's, it's not necessarily who the students, are, you know, who new grads are getting hired by, whether it's corporate or private practice or going into internships, is I think the biggest support that they need out of school is both in the sense of building those additional skills and recognizing that, you know, perfection is not going to be you know, you don't need to be perfect your first year. Please don't be. It's perfection is boring. Who wants that? Eh. But, <laughs> but, you know, there we have to take an industry where a lot of vets are really burnt out and really tired and make them ready to be good mentors. Yeah. Um, because it, it's hard to be a good mentor when you barely have time for yourself. So, you know, how do we coach new grads through the first few years of their career? teach them it's okay to fail at things, teach them it's okay to change jobs, get them set up financially as best we can so that it's a, you know, to make it a sustainable, a really sustainable career. Some of, some of the change too has been the entrance of corporations into veterinary medicine, um, you know, for better, or for worse, that's a whole nother discussion. But I think that's a big change because this model, um, you know, at least from the small animal perspective of you graduate, you work, you own, you retire, uh, is not, not as common anymore. So, you know, like I said, this, that opens a whole nother discussion into veterinary medicine, but um, I think that's another big change that has in some ways, like fostered, necessitated, such so as some creativity in the career itself self where it's not this kind of linear path that used to be I, that I think used to be more common. Yeah. I mean, I know as a student, it's interesting because as a student in North America, the expectation generally speaking nowadays is you finish vet school, you do an internship, you go into practice. The UK is the complete opposite. So the expectation is that you graduate, you go into practice. Then if you want to specialize you do an internship a few years later and then continue to get certifications or whatever else. So it's interesting in that I have never had a dream of doing an internship. That has never been something that I've wanted to do for no other reason than kind of as Dana had said earlier, I find more value in finding a practice that's willing to foster my skills and mentor me than I do in 
doing a rotating internship, but for someone who's not necessarily sure what they want to do, I definitely see the value in the rotating internship at the same time. But I think that in doing the internship and making that med sustainable, one of the issues for me at least is the compensation during the internships. And if you want to talk about sustainability within vet med, for me, a huge deal is negotiating your first salary, which I don't think is something that gets talked a lot about during vet school because we're all empathetic people. None of us really like asking for things in the first place, let alone money. (laughs) And so, but if you think about your whole career trajectory, most of your raises and promotions all stem back from your original first starting salary. So if you start out at a practice lowballed, then you're kind of going to be lowballed for the rest of your career. Or if you do an internship and then decide to continue on specializing, now you're only making $20,000 a year for seven years. How are you paying back your student loan debt? And so I think that that in and of itself is kind of a, a dangerous cycle that that med is hurtling towards in the U.S. <laughs> I'll say this though, Amelia, I'll, I'll contradict you just a little bit. I, in my, in my career, I have taken a couple of very strategic pay cuts for very good reasons, and I don't regret them. And I've been able to advance in those particular jobs and end up with a salary that was higher than the job I left, but with other specific advantages to that job. It goes back to, you're, you're right, and, and still negotiating and understanding worth and understanding the economics of how practices are run and what they can afford is all super important. Hey, you just got to kind of wing it sometimes, too. You know? You know? <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have everything worked out. <laughs> uh, you know, that's it. I'm going to take a pay cut because the opportunities or the growth potential is there or... I need it for personal reasons for a few years. And it's a little scary because you do, you are kind of taught, oh, it's, it should be a straight line. But as we talked about it, it's not a straight line. It's just, yeah. and that's okay. I mean, as someone who's interested in, in wildlife, I'm definitely not someone who's trying to make the big bucks within veterinary <laughs> medicine. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone that goes into vet med is uh, looking to be, they, they, you don't go into vet med for the money. <laughs> no. no. If you do, the, the joke's on you. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah then you, you didn't research your future career very yes, well. Exactly. It makes me you wonder how you're going to do one. in vet school if you right. can't even figure out that you ain't gonna, you're not going to be rich. But no. And I think the other important thing is like anyone who made it to vet school could have easily chosen a different field if that, you know, if they felt like that was super important to them. Um, and not, not that that's a bad thing either, you know, like if you have a lot of passion for medicine, but you know, you don't necessarily want to work or you don't know how you want to work in medicine, you know, a human gastroenterologist still makes a lot more money. <laughs> Um, either yeah. way, I mean, they have some, da- there's some downfalls to that career too. And if you start to talk to MDs, you'll start realizing, you know, it's not all roses and sunshine over on the human side of things either. So, yeah, I saw, I saw a very interesting poll that had come out, I think about a year ago uh, on VIN, where it had uh, asked veterinarians and MDs if they would go back to to their respective vet school or med school again, given given the chance, like would they do their would they do it again? And what was really interesting is that they were super super close. So I think it was forty nine percent of veterinarians said 
yes, they would. 51% know that said no, they wouldn't. Whereas for the MDs, it was 51% said that they would, whereas 49% said that they wouldn't. So, but it was, both of them were so close together that I think that it, uh, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. So was the difference just statistically significant or not? Did oh anyone run that? Anyone run that? I don't less know. Less than yeah. 0.05, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the p-value on yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember something. It was, it was a, a while ago, but okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm like, how big was Gosh, the sample that's size? Like, but 50%, <laughs> really? Like 50%? Oh, my goodness. That just, again, like we need to just come reconvene and do another <laughs> yeah. episode because I have so many thoughts. Um, I mean, I'm like, I'm like a hardcore. If somebody asked me, would you be a vet again? I say, yes, I love being a vet. I don't regret my career choice for a second. I'm still not quite sure what's going to happen with the student loans. Well, I have a plan. We'll see if it works out. It's not, not a super solid plan. Like zombie apocalypse is out there somewhere as part of the plan. As part of, as one of, one of the options. Yes, yes exactly. Exactly. Take your own but, death and move to remote island. That's also you know. on the list. Yes. Yeah. But we shouldn't talk about it on this further public down. forum. It'll be, I'll be yeah, suspicious. Further down on, under like sound <laughs> financial planning being a little bit more of a, you know, maybe, maybe more sustainable option. The zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I mean, at this point, the IRS is really coming after us between the not knowing whether it's a one or a zero and right. blaming the zombie apocalypse for our student debt. <laughs> so I actually told my accountant that one year um, when I, I had first gotten out and, you know, I was still like finding my, my feet and what I was going to do in my career. And she's like, so this is, you know, the slush student debt. Um, it's a big number. What are you going to do with it? What's your plan to pay it back? And I was like, zombie apocalypse. And she's like, that's not a good plan. I was like, I disagree. Like, 25 <laughs> years is a long time. Like this is a long-term goal. Yeah. Okay. I didn't what's happening next year. Like let's think long-term. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I, I'm still very hopeful again, probably naively that, you know, that hopefully we'll have some regulatory um, help with with some of the student loan debt. And I think some of the things that we're seeing come through um, government right now with like uh, the IBR, yeah, the, the tax balloon forgiveness. I, I still, you know, again, maybe naively think that we'll have some regulatory improvements that will help our profession. And we we do have to actively have groups that advocate for those, for that, those regulations, because as a profession, that is something we have to step up to the plate and say, Hey, we're not, you know, we're, we're a really important part of, of a functional society. We do more than, you know, pet kittens and, and tell them good luck and send them off in the world. You know, veterinarians are here for, for food chain, you know, we provide food chain security. We provide, you know, we're important for public health. We're important to control zoonotic diseases. If nothing the last year has taught us, it should teach us that veterinarians are going to be at the forefront of public health. And that means that our profession has to be, you know, we have to step up and remind officials that our profession needs student loans right now to exist. So, and that unfortunately, those student loans are, you know, not, you know, the student loan salary differential is too high. So we need help. We, and we probably need regulatory help. I mean, that was one of the benefits of going to school abroad. It mm -hmm. is, I mean, Glasgow's program is AVMA accredited, so there's no issue with my licensure translating back to the U.S., but all in total, my in-state school would have been UPenn, which 
spoiler alert, the in-state cost is still more expensive than going out of state at any other school in the U.S. (laughs) So I was trying to find a different option and going to school in the U.K., I'm saving in total around $115,000 in student loan debt, which is insane. Insane. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is, I am like just shaking my head over here going, oh my goodness. I, <laughs> there are some things I would do differently. If <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love the university <laughs> or that go Gators, but <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, I think for my in-state, it's about the same for going to Glasgow, you know, if, if not um, Glasgow being like, you know, a couple of thousand cheaper. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's definitely been, been helpful. <laughs> yeah. It makes a big difference. Kayla, what, what was the question you were going to ask earlier when I interrupted you? Oh yeah, I was uh, I was just gonna ask um, Dana Cassie, have you guys experienced any periods of burnout in your careers, and what did you do to to get through that? Since uh, you know, since we're we will be graduating in a couple of years, and I just kind of want to hear from oh, from a couple of vets how you got 40. through. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's some good ones. You know, I think part of it too is is I think you do have to plan for it a little bit. To be to be brutally honest, um, vet med is hard. It's hard. Um, you know, it was hard to get into school. Well, it's hard to be a vet. Uh, and, and sometimes it, it adds up. So, uh, you know, I, I did emergency for a long time and emergency is probably one of the career choices in vet med that has always, um, experienced burnout. Um, the hours are tough. They're long. Um, the cases are by their very nature, a little more amplified, a little more extreme, a little, you, you, you see some stuff. You're like, mm, wow, never thought I would see that. Okay. Um, and they start to become commonplace. And so there's, there's multiple aspects of emergency that lead to burnout. Like I said, the hours, the severity of the cases, the pressure, um, and what, you know, a couple things, I will say is I started to learn really quickly, something a lot of our colleagues are really bad at. And I would encourage everyone leaving vet school today to not be bad at when you get vacation, there is no glory in not taking it. There is, Mm -hmm. there's, there's no award for work yourself to death. There's no special, yay, you worked 110 hour week medal. As a matter of fact, there should be a lot more medals for, I got, you know, I accomplished everything in 35 hours this week. There should be a lot more celebrating of that in vet med. So I definitely got to that point. And I think the thing that got me out of it was saying, you know what? I have saved up so much vacation. It is ridiculous. And taking it, going somewhere, um, unplugging. And, and it's also sort of oddly essential that when you do that, you're taking a real vacation. Even if it's at home, it means no one can call you. No one can email you. You're not finishing records. You're not writing. You're not preparing presentations. You're not editing journals. You're not, you know, you're not doing all the other things, but you're truly unplugged from whatever part of your job it is. Like I said, celebrate your vacations, put them on social media, be like, I'm so proud of myself that I went away for two weeks. And I'll say that was really key to me getting through at times. The other thing I think that I'm not as good at (laughs) I'll freely admit is I have definitely gotten burnt out on jobs to the point of, you know, and again, Cassie and I talked about this last on our last podcast, more or less, I was laid off slash fired from a job. And when I looked back on it, it's not easy to see at the time. Again, feels like, feels like you failed, feels very difficult. And I was like, yeah, they probably needed to fire me because I was never going to leave on my own. 
I was never going to change. I was never going to change on my own. And I had gotten to the point emotionally where, yeah, I was doing the job and yeah, I was good at it, but I was no longer a good colleague. I was not a supportive, <laughs> uh, good person to be around for those years. Um, got through, but, you know, changed things up. So, you know, it's, you have benefits and you have time off for a reason. And I won't, it's really easy to Google. There's plenty of research and evidence that shows taking vacations makes you a better professional. So just figure out how to do it in vacations can be cheap. So don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like I got to the point, I I don't know if I would say, um, burnout. I I was probably on my way there, um, towards burnout, but actually, uh, what, happened with me. And it was just one of those, like you get out of school and you're really excited and you want to see everything. And you don't want to say no, because what if it's a really cool case and you want to see that? And, you know, maybe it goes a little bit back to that. If I don't do everything, if it's not everything, then it's failure. So a lot of that, when I first graduated, which I think in some ways benefited me, because I did see a lot of cool cases and I learned how to balance a really busy schedule. Uh, and I, I got a lot of experience. Uh, and I was actually in a situation where I got to work pretty independently. So I was kind of forced to just like make a decision, kid, because you're the only one here. And so there were a lot of positives positives to that. But I, I was getting to the point where it was getting tougher to handle. And I ended up getting pregnant twice. So the first time around, you know, I got that maternity leave and kind of like what Dana said, of course, you know, maternity leave is not a vacation, but to go from that really, really busy schedule to spending time at home with my daughter and really, and, and, you know, just having a daughter changing me. Um, after that, I went back full time. When I had my second daughter, I was like, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to be in a situation where I could cut down to part-time. So I did that. So I think kind of the decision was made for me before I got to the burnout point. And I'm really thankful for that now, because to, to also echo Dana, as time went on, I've also been let go from a job before that same thing. I look back and go, I, I probably never would have left. And it forced me to get creative and step out of my comfort zone. So it ended up being a really good thing for me too. And now I'm in a situation where one of the things I realized that was really taking away from my experience as a practitioner and my enjoyment of it was, was surgery, like major surgeries. Like I said, I like teeth, but doing abdominal surgeries, like even like a cystotomy, I was like, well, you know, I did sew it up and then I couldn't sleep for two days. And I remember the one resection and anastomosis I did. I was like, never again. I, I remember I was sewing up the, I was sewing the intestines together. I had a vet student scrubbed in with me, which thank God for her. Cause she was just like this calming presence. Um, and I was, <laughs> as I'm sewing, I was just like, this is a stupid surgery. Like who came up with this? Like, this is actually going to work. And then, and and it did work and he did great. Um, but that kind of, it would just stress me out and I wouldn't sleep and I'd come home and I wasn't as good of a mom to my kids. Cause I couldn't get that patient out of my head. So now I'm in a situation where I don't really do surgery anymore. And that has really enhanced my experience as a veterinarian and made me love it even more. So, you know, one thing I would say in terms of burnout that, you know, just from personal experience is if you can find, if you can look for a position that will really play to your 
strengths. And you're going to have to go through some of those learning experiences to find out what those strengths are and what you enjoy. And they can change over your career. But if you can really, vet med is such a huge field. There's so many things we can do in medicine that you know, there's no way you can master all of them and be great and enjoy all of them. If you can, that's amazing. I want to meet you, but most of us can't. So, you know, try to focus on what you're good at and what you enjoy and don't spend as much time on the things that, you know, really stress you out and ruin your day. Uh, and, And I think you'll have a lot more fulfilling marathon of a career. So how do you approach those conversations with your employer? Like if if you were to say, those aren't really something, those aren't the areas of practice that I have interest in. How do you approach that in a positive manner? Hilariously, the first time I was burnt out, basically my boss at the time sat me down and she was like, dude, we've pushed you too much. And I was like, what you have? Oh my God. For real? <laughs> no, I'm fine. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And I was, you just, you're so like, ah, I want to work a hundred hours a week. Um, I, and cause it was, it was when I was a relatively new grad. I will say that. Like I was just, yeah, and some of it's Cassie said, I was just excited. They were like, do you want to work another shift? And I was like, yes, yes. Cause part of it was, I mean, I'll be honest, part of it was financially driven. And part of it was just like, I feel like I can do this. I feel like I can do this. And then because you can until you can't. And I, my boss was basically like, uh, we're not scheduling you for that anymore. Um, and when are you taking vacation? And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Didn't think of that. So for, for me, the big thing, no, he's going to laugh as I was like, dude, I don't want to see eyes anymore. I don't want to see eyes. I don't want to, I don't <laughs> want to do another, like, I was like the last inoculation, maybe inoculation, inucu- see, I can't even work. <laughs> I was literally like leaning over the garbage can, trying not to vomit. I, it's, it's like, I'm ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm trying not to be ridiculous. And the more I try not to be ridiculous, I feel like it's just getting worse. And I was like, can I please just duck those? And they were like, that's really that bad, huh? And at that exact moment, one of the techs walked by and was like, can she not do them anymore? It makes us really nervous when she does. And I was like, dude, thanks for the support. They're like, just being honest. And they were. So, I mean, I think sometimes your employer kind of already starts to feel it even before you do. Um, So I think, you know, when they ask, you know, and not everyone's a great intuitive, you know, evaluator of your skills. But I think when you run into those people that are and they're like, "Um, how do you feel about this? It might be time to be like, no, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not good at that. Maybe, maybe it's actually stressing me out more than it should be. And I don't, it's not my thing and that's okay. Well, Kayla, Amelia, Dana, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. This has been so much fun. Look for this podcast cross-posted to Amelia and Kayla's channel as well, Vet the Unexpected. And hopefully we can get together again soon and continue the discussion because I feel like there's so many important things we touched on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having us. And thanks for joining us on our show. We've had a great time. Yeah, thank you. This was a good one. So believe it or not, this was not initially going to be two episodes, but we were having so much fun talking about all things vet med. And I eventually had to go pick up my kids. So we ended up scheduling a second call and stay tuned for that episode. It's coming up soon. I want to say a big thank you to Amelia, Kaitla, um, of course to Dana for giving up so much of your time to be a part of these episodes. I really hope we get to do it again in the future. 
If you'd like to find more episodes like this, click on the education tab on Vetfolio's webpage. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this episode, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.